Hour number two, kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Hour number two kicks off right as the internet goes down. We're going to get it back. Let's kick off hour number two with some things you might have missed from the night before. Sam, hopefully you uh, could still scroll your phone and get these with no internet. I can get a little something here. We've got a light coming back on the box. We'll see. Maybe they'll one by one fire up and we'll be back. But what do you got for us? Thank you, John. Uh, Welcome. Coming here, the uh, NBA All-Star Game announced their starting lineups yesterday for the Indianapolis All-Star Game. Uh, the Eastern starters, we've got Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Halliburton, and Damian Lillard as your East starters uh, and your West starters. That is where my internet has gone down. Um, yeah, I, we'll talk about the East. <laughs> the East starters, though, I mean, uh, I think that you've got obviously got some big storylines there. Um, Tyrese Halliburton making his first start uh, as an all-star. You've How about all- that, Bob? Your boy. Yeah. I that. Is he going to be healthy by then, Bob? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I think good. they're doing preventive maintenance, which is smart. Uh, I, he may he may sit until the all-star break, okay. but he'll play okay. in the all-star game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's in, it's in Indiana, right? Right. It's Correct. in Indianapolis. I mean, that's that's a big moment. So, yeah, he'll, he'll definitely play. How long he'll play, who knows, but he'll definitely come out there and start. Because I was going to say the optics of sitting out until the all-star game and then playing in the all-star game wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be great, but I guess if it's in Indianapolis, that yeah, that, that you have to do that. Yeah. Well, good for him. LeBron James also. LeBron James. LeBron James. Record breaking. First time ever. Record breaking. Yep. A player has made twenty All Stars. How about that? How about that? Goat. Twenty. Nah. He he missed it his first season, and then ever since. Yep. He's an All Star. Nah. That really is just one of the more impressive things I feel like in in all the sports. So starters for the East were Lillard, Halliburton, Embiid, Giannis. Tatum. Correct. Then West was when you lost internet. Yeah, I've got it. I'm getting it back up right here. Internet should be back now, by the way. Yeah, it's looking like it is. Let me fire up the uh, restream. Let me pull up this article here. Video. Just some wonderful radio. That's okay. This is how we roll. This is how we uh, roll. (laughs) Sam did not bring his newspaper in. That's what they would have done back in the day with no internet. Feel free to call in and give us the West. Yeah, if you've Western got the West starters, oh, I, 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 say, I have them. I was just waiting to see if he could get them. Shai Gilgis, Luka Doncic, oh, see there he goes. He, he Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James will be your West starters. It's one of those things, Bob. I, I could have jumped in and yes. helped at any time, but like, it's kind of like yeah, you you want to let people grow and figure things yeah. out for their own. Sink or swim. Sink yeah. or swim. I was thinking, yeah, you know, I, I want to. Sink or swim. I was thinking about you know throwing the baby in the water, and either you roll over <laughs> on your back or you drown, baby. I didn't want to call you a baby, but you figured it out. LeBron James in his twentieth All Star game, record breaking goat. Uh, Luca, breakout superstar over the last year when you consider international basketball and what he did with Canada. Shaq Gilgis Alexander, of course, the uh, the reigning title holder in basketball. I think the best player, I don't really know how you even argue at this point, Nikola Jokic, and then 13-time All-Star Kevin Durant. Also saw that uh, we we were talking 
it might have even been yesterday about how do we like the skills challenges and all that other stuff. Steph's going to come back and participate in the three-point shootout, which, you know, it's always fun to watch him do his thing. It's so uh, you know, maybe it's a little predictable, but maybe not. I mean, it, that's uh, it's good that he's coming back for that. I wonder if he feels the same way if he doesn't actually make the All-Star team. Yeah, like he said, point. he would do it. I assume he like assumes he'll make the All Star team. But the West, I mean, you got some guys at the guard position that could compete for those spots and maybe keep him off. I mean, like Anthony Edwards and and Devin Booker, and you know, there's a, there's a chance he just doesn't make it. You know, Darren Fox, another one of those guys. I agree on all those names. I don't see him not making the team though. Sure, I think he I think he makes it. Back to the old format. Uh, to East versus West for the first time since 2017. Yeah, we're yeah. happy about that. We yep. were just talking about that the other day too. That we don't like the old the the new format. Well, it's gone. It's now the old format. Mm-hmm. We're back to the goat format. East versus West. East versus West. Be- I said to pay homage to Indiana's classic roots of basketball. They're going to go with ah. tradition. <laughs> That's right. Or just because the All Star game last year was a disaster. No, no, it's because of the, <laughs> they're paying homage to Hoosiers, Indiana. Hoosiers. Yeah. All, all eyes on Indiana, baby. That's, that's, uh, that's for Jimmy Chitwood. Yes. Uh, more news in the NFL award ceremonies. Uh, we've got the NFL MVP finalists. Uh, the players nominated as those finalists. You've got Lamar Jackson, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Josh Allen. Not going to lie, I'm a little uh, – I'm a little surprised that that you got Brock Purdy as a finalist for the MVP. I'm not. I'm surprised that they named five finalists though, because to me, like it probably should just be Lamar Jackson versus Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, yeah. If you want to throw Dak in there, that's fine. Like, if you told me they're naming five people, Brock Purdy deserves to be on the list. I guess. But like, it's like the Heisman. You don't always have to invite five people. Sometimes it's a three-person race. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's going to be either Lamar or Christian McCaffrey, and it's going to be Lamar, most likely. I think it's Lamar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Lamar has clearly kind of solidified himself, obviously, with this back end of the season run that they're on, and, and maybe Purdy kind of slowing down there a little bit. Uh, you also had uh, Coach of the Year finalists. You've got Dan Campbell, John Harbaugh, D'Amico Ryans, Kyle Shanahan, and Kevin Stefanski. So, uh, wow. So, the star... I mean, for a while, it's like a two-team race between the Browns and the Vikings, with what O'Connell was doing. And I guess they're, you know, they they didn't make the playoffs, but you know, he was doing the same things Stefanski was trying to do with all the quarterbacks. Except he had even worse quarterbacks he was trying to do it with. Right. But he, he didn't even get the name as a finalist. Seems to be Stefanski's award to lose whenever you bring Joe Flacco in and you go eleven and five. D'Amico Ryan's probably going to finish the second place, if I was guessing. I like Ryan's just given how bad that team was. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, if Ryan's wins, I won't be surprised. It's just yeah. the adversity that Cleveland had to face with yeah. how many quarterbacks they had to run out there, I think will maybe get him the edge. But the fact that Texas did win the division might be the tiebreaker. So, yeah, it, maybe that's a two-team race, and maybe I shouldn't say it's a it's a foregone conclusion. Ryan's could definitely win it. Got the head-to-head in the playoffs, too, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that matters. Do, do I, they I think, factor I think that they in? Vote, I think they already vote yeah. just regular season. Uh, some news out of golf as well. Um, obviously, uh, the the story kind of this week has been amateur Nick Dunlap uh, out of Alabama. Obviously, the amateur who won 
the American Express this past week. Uh, he has decided to turn professional and join the PGA Tour. Uh, so, you know, obviously there was a little bit of controversy whether or not his name might be kind of getting floated out to live, whether or not he's going to return back to college and just continue to to keep that amateur status and keep playing college golf. But he's going to forgo both of those, uh, go to the PGA Tour, and, and have status on the PGA Tour until 2026. Yeah, my, my sources say Liv backed off. They didn't want him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my sources say. They, Liv is focused on the uh, the comeback story of Anthony Kim. Yes. They said, they said that's more relevant. That's more of a needle mover for our people. We're, we're not worried about this this amateur. That is that is my next story there. It's it's Anthony Kim, the great Anthony Kim. What, what was the, before you get to Anthony Kim, what was the name of the pro last year that had that run, or two years ago that had the hole-in-one and, you know, was kind of in the mix? Oh, Michael Block? Yeah. Block, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't know his name because I was going to say, that's this new amateur, that's what's going to happen to him, but you didn't know his name. <laughs> he's still getting, you know. Does he get to golf anywhere? Like, yeah, the, he's getting the red carpet rolled out for him. You know, he's exempted into a couple him, tournaments. Right? Like, no, 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 lived no. It, I, I thought for a second they might try to do that. He, yeah. he went from, like, and this tends to happen like in a lot of things in sports, but for me, he became, he went from being a really cool story to I started seeing him on the Today Show and doing it was like too much. He got overblown. I yeah. when your fifteen minutes gets in that fourteenth minute, yeah. you, you start thinking, okay, it's time to wrap it up. Yeah. So, anyways, tell me about Anthony Kim. Anthony Kim, a uh, name I knew but have completely forgotten. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of people would have forgotten him if you're if you just don't follow golf really that that closely. Anthony Kim was a guy, uh, you know, who hasn't played golf, who hasn't had a start since May 2012 at the Wells Fargo Championship, uh, withdrew to undergo a, an Achilles injury that he had in his left leg, and he hasn't played professional golf since. Uh, he was a guy who really just kind of took the golf world on, uh, you know, just really kind of ran with it, I, w- I would say. He, Did he win any? Like, was yes, he, he, okay, so he won. was ranked as high as sixth in the world at the, okay. at the top of his career. Okay. Uh, is kind of known for his performance as a rookie in the 2008 Ryder Cup. Okay, um, just had a you know had a great performance there and had an injury and was able to collect 10 million dollars of insurance money. You know you you hear about those as prospects. I hadn't really heard of it in golf because I mean I guess I don't think of golf having debilitating injuries. I didn't know like, about that either. You know you, you'll have like an NCAA prospect insure their legs or, or something. You know Messi, of course, like some some of the top athletes do the same thing, but. He had a $10 million policy that he got paid. So if he does return to professional golf, the thought is that he has to repay the insurance company because they paid him out for a career-ending injury, and, of course, his career isn't ended. So that makes people think that Liv makes a lot of sense since yeah. they can give him upfront money or even pay off the, the fee for him because they have you know that, that fund that doesn't end. He's always been a real interesting personality, too. Kind okay. of, you know how golfers are kind of just – boring you know nobody really has a, a big personality he was kind of a guy that went off the beaten path a little bit so live golf kind of seems like it makes sense to me for him okay uh is he a needle mover at all he was he was a huge needle right mover do you think he, he would still be at I least think he would be now times? absolutely at least at the start to i think people would plays. be really tuned in to yeah. see how he looks 12 years later but i don't know down the line how well, that looks if you're gonna give me two separate golf stories then i have to at least mention um that we had a pretty big tennis loss last night. Yeah. 22-year-old Yannick Sinner, the Italian stallion, the Italian shows up and takes Novak Djokovic down. The first time Djokovic has had a loss at the Aussie Open in six years, and it was kind of domination. 
Sinner didn't even face a break point. Not even one break point. Kicked his ass. 22-year-old, so, I mean, you, you think maybe a, uh, a passing of the torch of sorts whenever you you look at him and Alcaraz and, you know, some of the other young, talented guys. Like, you might have the next generation getting ready to take off, but if you're going to give me two golf stories, i got to mix in a tennis story. <laughs> Anything else? That's about it. We had breaking news, though. Wee 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 wee. I mean, I said this at the beginning of the week. I want to start learning more about soccer. So I. Oh yeah, yeah. Jurgen Klopp, the manager of uh, Liverpool. My Reds. He's going to leave Liverpool. No. Oh no. He's leaving after the Premier League season that wraps up. After the Titans coach quotes him in his opening press conference, he leaves. He said, you know what, that's enough for me. If the Tennessee Titans coach is name-dropping me, uh, I don't want to be associated with that organization. Yep, it was weird the way he did it. I, I don't. European sports culture to me is just so different than American sports culture because if a coach was going to retire, we get it through a single tweet usually. It'll be a report. Yeah. Nick Saban. Who is better at his sport than Jurgen Klopp? Now they're close. Klopp's great, but like Saban, you know, I think better. But maybe soccer fans would push back on that. That gets released by a Chris Lowe tweet. Bill Belichick gets fired by a Adam Schefter tweet. Jurgen Klopp announced his retirement, or at least that he's stepping down, that he's quitting the team, with a two-minute video that like he's kind of just putting it out there and saying like, "Hey, I know this may surprise you, but." I'm leaving the club. They started off like, hey, you have an announcement for the fans. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. At the end of the season, I'm gone. And you're like, wait, what? And it was, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and it was not, it was hardly emotional. It was more kind of like, I felt like the takeaway was kind of like, yeah, man, I, I, I've done it. He, at one point, he's like, I've done it again and again and again. He kept saying it. It's like, it was kind of like, I'm over it. I got to move on. Well, he's, it, they've won everything. Yeah. Like, everything they could possibly win Champions League, Premier League, like the, the Club World Cup. There's a couple of the Super something. I don't know. There's like seven different trophies they've won. He's like, I've done it all. I don't, I don't think it's like him announcing retirement. It's probably just he'll find a different challenge and go to a different club. And yeah. I don't know. I saw some people in the reply saying he's going to go to Bayern Munich. I don't, I don't know if that's like the, if that's actually a thing or not. But it wasn't like a retirement announcement. It was like, hey, I, I just, I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving the club. And we don't have that in American sports, really. Where yeah. guys are like, ah, you know, I'm just going to get out of my contract. I'm gone. I'm just going to leave. <laughs> Coaches are very rarely free agents. Like, true. Almost in every sport, like in college, of course, you get the four or five, six year contract extensions because so that you can recruit and have that stability. In you know, the NBA, very rarely does a, a guy play out his contract and just say, hey, I'm out. It's either like, hey, we signed you and you you know, you know, got fired, or every now and then you'll get traded, you know, if, if we agree that, like, hey, we're going in different paths. This guy's like, ah, I just don't feel like doing it anymore. And they're like, okay, see you later. No big deal. But, yeah, it's big global news for sure. Yeah, so if you're a Liverpool fan, again. Like me. Like you. So this is uh, a bleed red. Is it? Yeah, but is it? It's so. Is this akin to you were an Alabama fan and Saban leaves? From the reaction I've seen from people, like it does seem similar. Okay. Like it hasn't been as long of a run. Like of course Saban, seventeen years or yeah. however long. Like I think Klopp's only been there like eight or nine, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So like I mean, it's not the same type of of run, but like it's a. 
it's similar in the sense of, like I said, came here, won a bunch of championships, or you know, came here, went to Liverpool, won a bunch of championships, kind of got the prestige back of the program slash franchise slash club. So that's similar to what Saban did, right? Like it kind of yeah. made them the number one team in college football, and Liverpool kind of got back to being the premier or at least second or third, depending on how you look at, you know, Man City and, and such, like got them back to kind of that spot. So, yeah, it does, it does feel comparable there. It's a big story. That's uh, my Liverpool friends were melting down. I mean, they're they're sad. And then like, yeah, I, I guess I like reading applause and people are like, "Is this how the rest of the country felt when the Queen died and things <laughs> like that?" Like, wow. re- really going through it. It's like 11 a.m. announcement. And then like, meanwhile, one of my one of my old radio co-hosts has like a Liverpool tattoo here in America, and he's like in Nashville. And he's tweeting at 4.52 a.m. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do now with the rest of my day? <laughs> Worst day of my life. Hit him in his feels. Sam, send us a break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. we got Will Warren coming up at 8.30, 8.33-ish, somewhere around there. Stick with us. Good morning. Traffic's all to a pretty good start out here despite some foggy conditions in certain areas. It's moving 40 east over the top. Something that did not make Sam's, you might have missed it, but I think is a big story. I don't know how you guys feel, but did you just see any of this, any of this story or any of these details that came out of the Vince McMahon lawsuit that dropped yesterday? I I know we talked about WWE and their merger with Netflix, or at least, not their merger, but their, their TV deal with Netflix. That was two or three days ago, and they were like riding high, and the stock was in the 90s. And then more details, and quite frankly, some pretty disgusting details came out about Vince McMahon. And, you know, you when you get linked to the word sex trafficking, yeah, it's never a good thing. And when you read the text messages that were in the lawsuit, I don't know if you consider it sex trafficking, but it seemed a little sex trafficking-ish to me as, as basically a woman who worked at WWE who had been promised, you know, better positions and higher pay was basically treated as if she was Vince McMahon's personal sex property and was was being, for lack of a better term, pimped out to other employees at the uh, at the company. Well, I'm not an expert on sex trafficking, but that is a whole gross story. I got to tell you, I mean, just what I saw, and um, and you bring up a good point too. Uh, we were just a few days ago talking about the deal with uh, with Netflix and. That deal, to be clear, is probably not fully closed yet, and I'm wondering there's there had to be some awareness that WWE had extended to Netflix about this because there's there's a whole reputational protection piece of this uh, if you're Netflix and WWE as a brand. Um, I just wonder if that might have any influence. The deal will still happen. That's it's too valuable to Netflix, but does it change the? you know, the, the economics of it a little bit. So you think that the deal that got announced wouldn't be finalized yet? Just like, because to me that would be surprising that they would announce and go public if it hadn't been like signed. So you no, I, no I think there's, it's probably been, it's probably been signed, but my point is there's probably some language some in there. Yeah, kinda... yeah, exactly. Well, what I will say is that it, it does seem, on one hand, the WWE and TKO Endeavor, you know, the, the company that merged and owns UFC and owns WWE together, 
it does seem like they've kind of distanced themselves from Vince McMahon because like this this was rumored and like there were accusations, you know, not the details, but like accusations that came out, you know, a couple of years ago. And even as much as like him taking company funds and committing crimes by paying hush money to people from company funds and kind of defrauding some of the investors and like they, they kind of moved away from him. But at the same time, and almost all of these announcements of the sale and everything, he had been kind of popping back up and still kind of like a, a face of the company. So like they've been kind of straddling the line of, yeah, we're distancing ourselves. He's no longer in charge. But also like, hey, here he is. You remember this guy? He was him and Stone Cold. They're one of the biggest storylines, and he's one of yeah. the biggest wrestling stars of all time. Here he is. You remember Vince? He makes you feel good. Yeah, what, I, what I'd be interested to learn is – because uh, all the time when these types of deals happen uh, of this magnitude, there's a script. And what I mean by that is the question I would have is, was it announced at the beginning of the week with the knowing of this coming? Uh, and so they, they didn't want it to be bumped up like one day against the other. Um, or, you know, it could go the other way where Netflix might have been like, man, we would have waited if we'd known this. I, I have to believe they knew. I have to. So I, it leads me to believe that that's why this thing was announced earlier in the week. Um, they talk about this uh, complaint being filed yesterday. Um, but again, there's there's when it's something of this magnitude, there's clearly going to be knowledge of it. Yeah, and, like, the stuff had been rumored in terms of when they're trying to force Vince out, they're like, hey, like, more stuff is going to come out that's going to paint him in a bad light, so, like, you need to just kind of move on from him now because he had tried to survive the initial wave and basically came out, I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And then, like, a little bit more stuff came out. People are like, okay, it's going to get worse, so, yeah, you actually are going somewhere. And, you know, I, so I had to think they knew that there were more to it, but the, the details were nasty. I mean, like... The text messages he was sending that were in the lawsuit were nasty. The other employees, you know, like Brock Lesnar kind of gets implicated on this a little bit, which I'm sure he can't be thrilled about, like in just like a text message exchange. But, you know, he's a big star in terms of sports and entertainment as well. And, and yeah, like Netflix now, like maybe it's still a bigger story because when I'm looking at the stock price, Stock price is still doing pretty well. Like they they spiked obviously on the twenty third when they announced the deal, right? But I mean, they, and they've gone down a little bit since then, but it's still up. The, you know, from where it was on the twenty second, quite a bit. See how it does today, but yeah, I think um, I was just thinking too. He was he made an appearance on McAfee last year, and it was off the heels of the first round of accusations mm -hmm. and everything that were going on with him. And I wonder how McAfee feels about it now after today's news because they deified the guy on the show. It was it yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and like you know, I've heard Bill Simmons talk about a Vince McMahon documentary that they've been trying to do, and like Vince getting cooperation on that, and like you know that changes drastically now because right. like you can't celebrate the businessman and the guy that you know took territorial wrestling and turned it into like a global. Billion dollar company. I mean, a multi billion dollar company, as you saw, you know, they just signed a five year deal, a 10 year right. deal for $5 billion. That could be a 20 year uh, deal. Right. You, you can't celebrate the businessman while also without, you know, talking about this nasty stuff because this, this is just as bad as the Harvey Weinstein stuff whenever you read yeah. the details. Like, it, in terms of cancellation. Yeah. I mean, this makes a VH1 behind the music look tame. That's yeah. nothing compared yeah. to this. 
Yeah, I just uh, didn't know. Sam, you, you know who Vince McMahon is. You just didn't care. You didn't want to talk about nasty stuff. <laughs> I do know who Vince McMahon is. I just uh, I didn't really see it, honestly, yesterday. Okay. Um, well, it was nasty. Yeah, well, I was reading through it while y'all were talking, yeah. It was yeah. very nasty. Yeah. We will uh, not talk to a nasty man. We'll talk to a nice man, Will Warren, our basketball expert, Stats by Will, coming up after the break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Are you... This segment is brought to you by our friends at Inward Half. Check them out today at inwardhalf.com and look for them in your favorite pro shop. I've been telling you, you can support Inward Half. You can support the Volunteer Collective, the Vol Club, by buying their everything polo on the Volunteer Club shop. Joined by our friend Stats by Will, our favorite college basketball expert or favorite Tennessee basketball expert. Top of the morning to you, William. Good to hear from you, boys. Glad to be on. It's a beautiful Friday. It's uh, stopped raining for a minute, at least. So, what a winner you are right now, by the way. You know, we we talked about your Michigan Wolverines <laughs> and their national championship. Congrats on your Detroit Lions getting their playoff win. You know, many people are saying I deserve it, and you know what? I do. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's it's a thrill. To uh, watch this unfold, to see them win more playoff games in a week and a half than they have in my entire life. So, and, and now you know, now we just need the Tennessee basketball Final Four run. Maybe that's coming. It could. I, I will promise here: if the Lions win the Super Bowl and the Vols make the Final Four, I might have to retire on top from sports fandom. <laughs> how have I might, you, might have to become a monk or something. How have you handled this week off of Tennessee basketball? Have you been able to reset? Have you watched more? Uh, other teams across the conference and across the country done some scouting, or have you have you just been self scouting Tennessee? Done a bit of both, a little bit of scouting of other opponents, a little bit of self scouting Tennessee and areas where they could or could not be weak going forward. Uh, I, I will say, you know, watching the Alabama Auburn game uh, Wednesday, and it's just an obvious one to watch for you know Tennessee just played them, and that's a pretty big game. Uh, pretty notable to me that. You know, watching that back, it seemed like Tennessee with, you know, Connect, obviously, but also with Adu, you know, Auburn is kind of seen as Tennessee's main main draw for the SEC title race at this point. Tennessee had a lot easier time scoring in the paint than Auburn did, I thought. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee, we, we haven't talked to you since they had their way with Alabama, but that was about as good of a performance as a Rick Barnes team has had. They They did whatever they wanted to Alabama yeah which does not happen especially on offense really I mean when you when you watch Alabama in past years the because they play so fast you see the point score and you think oh they must be all offense no defense but under Oates the defense has really been the more impressive unit until this year and the, the way Tennessee exploited it over and over I, I I was a little surprised I thought they'd use more pick and roll but they the amount of off-ball action they run that is hard enough to keep with keep up with on its own. And now that they have this extra thing of, oh, by the way, we can run pick and roll really well with a six foot six future first round draft pick. I mean, they are becoming really hard to stop. Uh, pretty, 
obviously the best offense they've had since Grant and Admiral on, were on campus. This offense is better than that offense, though, right? Or, or no? I, mean, I think it's more well-rounded. Maybe not better, but more well-rounded. I, I think it certainly can be because you look back at that offense, and it was built – and I, I wrote about this years ago when Tennessee was still taking you know 500 mid-range jumpers a game. Statsbywill.com. <laughs> But uh, that team, if I'm remembering correctly, shot 47% on mid-range twos. And at the time when I surveyed that, that was like an unbelievable, you know, once-in-a-lifetime marriage of high volume and high efficiency on mid-range jumpers. And this feels more sustainable to me of, like, they really haven't cracked the code from three yet, still sitting at about 34% in the season, and that's despite guys in this team that we know who can shoot really well, not quite you know, finding it yet. Like Ganey found it a bit on Saturday, but he's below his career rate. We're still waiting on the Vescovy glow up. We're still waiting on Josiah's you know, tri-annual random six three-pointer game. So I still think it's scary because you've already got a consensus top five player in the country in Connect. You're already finding it easier to score from two than you have in a long time but you've potentially still got room to grow on threes. Hey, Will, thank you for joining us. I One thing, I want to give you your props. First of all, I am now a subscriber. I uh, I joined in because... You're cutting the check. <laughs> yes, yes. I bullied Bob into cutting the check, Will. You're yeah. welcome. Your, your appearances on the radio show have, have at least got you one new subscriber. You know, I, I, hashtag bully Bob. Yes, uh, there you go. Um, but one thing I read uh, going into that Alabama game, and you nailed it, was, um, and and it, th- there was a marked difference in how they played against Auburn in this category. But you said it when Tennessee played Alabama that if you can keep Alabama, at, what was the number? Was it like under thirty-eight percent from three or something like that? That they're you know you're 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 almost certain to win. Well, Tennessee did that and then some. Um, and then I watched them against Auburn, Alabama, that is, and they had a much more proficient game be- beyond the arc. And, um, you know, we see what happens. But um, I guess that is a question that, again, gives me more promise with Tennessee, and it's a defensive aspect of it. We're very excited about the offense, but the defensive aspect that they can just apply such pressure, whether it's perimeter defense. Some think that we're maybe a little soft underneath. I'm not buying it. I mean, there's going to be days we're going to be up against tough centers. That's the way it goes. But um, I'd just be interested in your thoughts on on that adjustment that we saw from Tennessee against Alabama because it's almost like they read your uh, your notes. I'd be a little scared if they read my notes. I feel like they've got better things to do. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, the the key with Alabama to me was, you know, for a large part of that game, really leading into, like, I would say maybe up until the last eight minutes or so when the game was more or less already decided, you saw that graphic over and over of like Alabama just wasn't attempting threes. Tennessee wouldn't let them get them off. And it was one of Alabama's lowest uh, three-point attempt rates of the whole year. And I think it just goes to show, you know, again, we talk about the offense a lot. We talk about how annoying it can be to see Tennessee go on some of these scoring droughts, but you know, consistently night over night, the defense shows up. You know, Alabama got held to their lowest uh, offensive efficiency of the season. That came four days after Florida posted their second lowest offensive efficiency of the season. And, you know, you just go back through the schedule. Like, Purdue's worst offensive performance of the season against Tennessee. K 
Kansas is third worst against Tennessee. Illinois is fourth worst against Tennessee. Wisconsin's third worst. So it goes on and on. And, you know, I, I think when you see Tennessee struggle with those large centers, it, it is what it is, and it obviously helps that an SEC play, I mean, really outside of, like, Jani Broom, you don't, you're not going to see that this year. The SEC just doesn't have the bruising centers it used to. Um, so to, I mean, like, that helps for that, but even look across the country. Tennessee's probably not going to play many of those because there aren't many of those anymore. You know, the Edies of the world are, you know, for better or for worse, a bit of a dying breed. You don't have that style of guy. They don't make circus freaks in every town is what Will is saying. The big circus freak is only limited for Purdue. Yeah, they only go to Purdue. Matt Painter's got guys going to villages in Sweden or wherever yeah, and asking if they found a 7-6 guy. Have you seen their next one that's up? He played the other night, Berg. He's a <laughs> yeah. 7-2. And, yeah. Um, it's, it's coming. It's never-ending for them. But if you limit it, it's quarantine. If you quarantine it to one school, it's okay. <laughs> hey, jumping ahead to Vanderbilt this weekend, tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. we talked with uh, assistant coach Greg Polinski yesterday, and we touched on this a little bit. I just wanted to get your take on this. That that five and thirteen record. I mean, we've we've all had the position of in the SEC. There's no gimmies except Vanderbilt. But is that fair? I mean, are they 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 hang in on most of their games? They've lost a lot of them. They can't figure out how to win. But it feels like I have not seen you know many just epic blowouts in their thirteen losses. Well, I, I'm with the opinion that there's no gimmies in SEC play just because everybody has SEC talent. You know. And with with Vandy specifically, I I would agree they they're not good. Obviously, I don't think that requires much explanation on its own. But they're going to have the SEC talent. They take a lot of threes. They haven't hit many this year. But if you're taking the threes in the first place, my thought is you open yourself up to some variance. That can be bad, you know, in the way of getting blown out by Boston College, Arizona State, or even San Francisco. Well, that can be good in the sense of, you know, you hung around with Alabama for a very long time in that game. You almost beat Memphis on the road. Uh, they they haven't had many of those plus shooting nights, but that doesn't mean they can't. And I think that's where they would open up for them on Saturday. If they come out and they start hitting threes early and often, because they're going to take them. It's the only way they can hang in this game is if they hit a lot of threes. Because otherwise, Tennessee is going to stare down a really bad bandy defense and run rough shot over them for 40 minutes. If, if Vandy hits threes early and often, that's going to keep this game a lot closer and a lot less comfortable than people want. When we talked with Polinski, I asked him to do a little self-scouting on Tennessee's weakness and what they need to get better at. From what you see with this basketball team, what's the one thing Tennessee needs to improve on the most if they're going to go to a Final Four and win a national championship? I think it's just getting the ball in the hands of the right players from time to time. We've seen, and we have seen this a good bit less this year, I'll admit, versus last. But the possessions where it doesn't feel like the ball goes below the free throw line at all, where the ball doesn't get inside the perimeter before like the eight second mark on the shot clock, those are still cropping up from time to time against SEC opponents. I, I would like to see not just connect, but, you know, Ziggler or a Jordan Ganey, or whoever's got the ball in their hands on the perimeter, let's see some attacking of the paint instead of, you know, we, we saw this a lot last year. Again, haven't seen it as much this year, but sort of standing around on the perimeter and saying, all right, Dalton, let's see what you got, or all right, Zakai, 
save us. Fewer of those possessions, I think, are really going to help you down the stretch here. If you can have guys who, instead of saying, let me loft up a contested three with three seconds on the shot clock because it's all we've got, guys who attack the paint and say, all right, I'm either going to get a bucket or get fouled here, and I'm going to do it or die trying. I think that is going to help you out more long-term than anything else. Yeah, you hear that conversation a lot in basketball in terms of wanting to get side-to-side, right? Like flip the court, go from one side to the other, get the defense rotating. You don't really mm-hmm. hear enough talk about getting north and south or, you know, getting below the free throw line, even with drives, you know, getting there. And Zakai's pretty good at driving and keeping the dribble alive and kind of circling around a la Steve Nash and Trey Young. But, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thought that Tennessee needs to get. Maybe not more post touches, but just also just get the ball around the basket a little bit closer. Yeah, and I think there's a key difference between post touches and paint touches. Right. Your guards can get you the paint touches. You know, if you want to feed it down to a dude with five seconds left and he's got the the matchup, you're like, I mean, go for it. But if it's, you know, late shot clock and you're a little out of options, I just think there's a bit more upside in driving and attacking versus opting for, you know, a deep contested jumper, even if that shooter is pretty good. Talking with Will Warren, Stats by Will, statsbywill.com. Go subscribe. He's the best in the town. He's the best, for my money, college basketball writer I know. When you came on a couple weeks ago, you said Tennessee needs to get to 15-3 and to win the SEC. Do you still feel like that is the target number? I kind of think it is, at least outright. I think you can still win this league at 14-4, and but it's going to be a shared title. That's and no problem. That, that's, that's no problem. No problem. But, but I do think 14-4 and four opens you up to the chance of, we've seen this just about every year, a team that's not as good as you just gets hot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we kind of saw that in previous years with, you know, Texas A&M randomly getting to 15-3 and three, or an Auburn team, the Auburn team with Jabari Smith, you know, getting to 15-3 and three despite being the third best team in the league. I just think 15 wins locks you in at a title, and it would take a heroic performance by somebody else to beat you. Let's uh, span out. I want to get your take on something nationally. There's this whole concept of some of these conferences that are particularly strong this year um, and and some that are down. And um, this whole notion, one conference I think sneaky good is the Mountain West. There's mm-hmm. it could be as many as five bids in the tournament for them, you know, and you compare that with conferences like the soon to be defunct Pac twelve and the ACC who are so far projecting, you know, two and three teams going into March. And I just love to get your take in terms of we all know about the strength of the Big Twelve. SEC is strong, but a conference like the Mountain West, obviously we saw San Diego State in the Final Four making it to the championship game last season. Um, do they they send that many teams, are those teams that are truly capable of a deep run? Yeah, sure. I, I think, honestly, if you get in as an at-large at this point in basketball history, you're capable of making the Final Four. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've seen – I think three 11 seeds now make the final four just in the last decade and a half. So, you know, with the, with the mountain West specifically, they're going to have four teams that are seated around, you know, like five to eight or thereabouts, you know, you've got New Mexico, Colorado state, Boise state, Utah state, all of which are really good. And then you've got San Diego state who might be the best of them all yet again. 
And th- this is where I do think, you know, uh, obviously nothing surprising here. I love Ken Palm, but I think that it struggles a bit to gauge the real greatness or lack thereof of a conference um, because you're counting every team. You're not the, – the, the thing with conferences, in my opinion, is people correctly only remember the best teams from that conference at the end of the year because those are the teams still playing. You're not going to remember Vanderbilt or Mizzou from this year's SEC. You're going to remember Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky, so on. So, I, I mean, you can make a real argument that the Mountain West is probably the fifth best conference this year ahead of the ACC and Pac-12 just because, I mean, they're going to put in more teams than those two will. And, you know, the ACC might squeeze in a fourth. The Pac-12, <laughs> maybe if they're lucky, they'll get in a fourth. But it's just it's an interesting battle to watch right now where you're seeing these conferences sort of you know come and go and obviously the Pac-12 is gone after this year but with the ACC in particular adding some of these new teams to get to I think 18 but they're not good programs you kind of wonder like does that make you better and does that really make you better and healthier than the Mountain West long term so when you say Mountain West, fifth best conference, so in front of them is obviously what? Big Ten, SEC, Big 12, and then Big East? Yeah. I, I think the Big 12 is still the king this year. They're going to have a good shot of putting in nine teams, maybe even ten. I, I'd go Big 12, SEC, and then I think the Big East and Big Ten are roughly about equal. Stats by Will. Give him a follow on X. Go subscribe. Statsbywill.com. Appreciate your time. Spoil the Vandy preview. You got Tennessee winning by how many points? I've got Tennessee by 15. I, I, so I, I noticed Ken Palm's got him by 17. I'd be a little surprised if Tennessee covers that. It's just it's a road game, weird arena. But at the same time, I've seen Tennessee hold Vanderbilt three-pointless in my lifetime. So anything is possible. One biggest... And I'm honestly, honestly very curious to see the crowd tomorrow because yeah. – it's kind of looking from afar like it could be 70% UT. I know a lot of Tennessee fans making the trip. What is the one key to the game for Tennessee, the one thing you want to see them do the best? I just want to see them prevent Vanderbilt from taking threes in the first place because okay. that eliminates any variance from this game. So a lot if like you, the Alabama force, game. Yeah, a lot like the Alabama game. If you force them inside, I don't trust a single player on this Fandy roster to score consistently from two. Appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Will. Thanks for having me on. Again, that phone call was brought to you by our friends at Inward Half. I challenge you, go buy a shirt or a hoodie and then tell me you're unsatisfied because you won't be able to. Experience the comfort of their signature polos or outerwear or other accessories. They're comfortable. You'll get compliments. Every time I wear my gear, I get many compliments. InwardHalf.com. All right, Sam, what did you learn from that interview? What was your favorite part of it as you were over there taking notes and studying? Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting when what he was saying about taking the three ball away from Vanderbilt. You know, I think it is. Variance is the key word there. Like yeah. you, don't, you, you don't want a team to get hot, and allowing them to shoot threes, of course, gives them a chance to score more points. And then, you know, have a better chance to spring an upset. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think it also is just a Vandy team for – you know, maybe not under Stackhouse, but, you know, kind of historically has been a team that's kind of, I think, lived and died by the three a little bit and, you know, have, has had some strong guards historically. And I think, you know, 
kind of some of those upsets that you get at Vanderbilt kind of start to happen when you get some of those guards that get hot and they can get those three balls rolling. So I think that was a great point by him in terms of just limiting their production in terms of outside of the arc and, and just trying to, you know, to obviously let it play into your strengths in terms of your defense. Bob, anything stand out to you from from what anything Will said? I, th- I thought what was interesting was him talking about Tennessee's ability to get points in the paint versus mm-hmm. points in the post. Yeah, um, uh, th- there is a difference, right? When you think of it that way, it's not one I think about, but he's right. Um, and this whole notion of kind of guards generating motion and all this other stuff, I uh, and I and I see that with Tennessee now that he puts it out there. Um, that's why I'm glad I subscribed to Stats by Will. I'm glad we successfully bullied you. Yeah. Hashtag bully Bob. But between Jonas and Adu, <laughs> between Jonas and Connect, Jonas is Adu, between Jonas and Connect, I have a lot of confidence in Tennessee being able to get nice points around the rim. Like uh, It seems like Connect can get there almost anytime he wants. You know, I have a lot of confidence that him being able to break down anybody and as as Polinski pointed out, right or left-handed, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. He can get to the rim on either side, and driving is maybe his best ability. I know we kind of fall in love with the jump shot, and and it's good, it's pure. But to me, what stands out to with him the most is just his his willingness to attack the rim and get fouled and, and finish in traffic. There's something with that left hand take to the hole that's beautiful. You know, it's uh, it's really nice. And then with Jonas, of course, he's gotten really good at just being able to consistently catch and dunk a basketball, which, you know, you might laugh at and say that's easy. But some big man, and, you know, we had some at Tennessee, including just last year with Uros, you can't take it for granted that someone can catch the ball, gather, and get up and dunk without having to take a dribble and get it swiped away. Jonas is really good at finishing the easy shots. You know, he's developed that pretty consistent six-foot turnaround, that six-foot bank shot. And those points add up, and and it helps if you can keep the ball moving into the paint with other guys. Do we miss Euros at all? No, no, no. Uh, That's that's how I feel. (laughs) Bob, what kind of question is that? I don't know. I just – I mean, as a as a as a human mascot, maybe like as having someone no, like he, he was he was hard he was hard for me to watch to be honest with you. I just but there's do some we people. Miss Uros, oh right? no, you man, ask about the, Miss Garantano next. No, yeah. no, there's some people who miss him. Sure, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but it's like I do not, I do not. Um, I don't miss him being around the. Or I, I don't not miss him being around the program. Like I said, kind of as the mascot and kind of as like, I mean, he was a good ambassador, you know, at least seemed to really embrace being in Knoxville from that. Like he seemed to enjoy being a Vol. Yeah. So from that perspective, sure. Like, you know, watching him in the fur coat at the baseball game, right. like he, it seemed like he enjoyed being a Vol. But as far as being anywhere near the basketball courts, no, 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 no. I, I don't miss that at all. The goon antics. Like, no, he he added to a reputation that I didn't think was fair, but that's what started happening around yeah. the country that yeah. that we were a bunch of thugs, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, that we were dirty basketball players. Yeah, and we did rough up Filipowski or whatever. We we, we, did, we did rough him up against Duke, but that was just kind of a team of grown men going up against some freshmen, and like that's kind of what happened, and and then it backfired. We 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 celebrated being tough all week, and then. Went to New York City and then he met got, his match. Yeah, got we got out toughed by a bigger European yeah, yeah. guy. <laughs> we, we got punked by a team full of guards. So that was the most disappointing thing. And 
and I blame I blame Uros for that. So no, 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 I don't I don't miss him at all. I, I remember him, you know, talking trash to Golden, Vladimir Golden or whatever his name was, and he just kind of would laugh at him. And and honestly, now you look back, it's like he was right. He was kind of like, oh yeah, just watch, man. Yeah. You know, he he worked him over. Sam, you uh, you miss you miss him at all? No, no, no. Okay, I don't. just check it. Um. <laughs> Maybe Kamwa a little bit, though. No. No, I miss I, him less. Really? No, no, that's not true. I don't, I don't miss him less. I think you have a decent spot on this team. I don't think he could. And honestly, I don't know if I would trust Barnes to not play him and Jonas together, and I, I, and I yeah. wouldn't like that. Yeah, you would have, in my opinion, it's it's kind of a correlation between what we saw with Heupel and Joe Milton. I think Kamwa would have been getting meaningful minutes that didn't that weren't productive because that that happened all too much with him. Yeah, like I mean to me every shot every shot that Kamwa would have taken would have been a shot that connects wasn't influencing. And like the the 18 foot mid-range jumpers that aren't basically dot and connect uh, to me is a waste. His needs offensively might not have fit in well. Right, but right. I mean Kamwa can play. I think come tournament time we might be needing a big another big man kind of well, if you told me that he was going to exclusively play the five and, like, we could have a Walker or Kumwa, like, okay, maybe we have a different conversation then because there probably would have been a, a lineup with Kumwa and Meshack and Josiah that you could have had enough size and defense. Maybe. Maybe. But, again, I've enjoyed having a top five defense and now a top 20 offense. And, quite frankly, the offense is closer probably to top 15, top 10 if you look at just since, like, the beginning of the year because we've – We've skyrocketed in terms of efficiency. We were started the year around 40, 50, and now it's up to 20. So, like, it's trending, obviously, in a positive direction. And, and again, I don't know if you get there. Like, I don't know if you have the development of Jonas Adu if Kumwa's here. And, like, I think Jonas Adu, to me, is a better, more impactful player than Kumwa just because of what he can do defensively around the rim as well. Like, so, I mean, like, if I'm having to choose between one of those guys, I think Jonas is every bit as good as Kumwa was last year. No, yeah. If not better. So, yeah. I don't think both could work together. Mine would be more like Kumwa versus uh, Walker right sure, now, maybe. Sure, yeah. sure. I just don't think both could work together on the court. And sure. I, don't, I think Barnes would get enamored with the size and, and feel like Kumwa's good enough to be on the court. Tennessee up to three in Ken Palm, by the way. Really? On the heels of that Arizona loss last night, I'm sure that's what impacted it. I think Arizona dropped from third to fifth. Okay. And Auburn moved up to four. Top three Vols. Yeah, it's nice. Top three Vols. Hour two in the books. Hour three coming at you. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Is your home?